This is Murder in the Black with Steph and M.D. Murder in the Black. I'm your host, Steph. And I'm MD. And we are going to say Happy Black History Month. Right. Happy Black History Month. Such a beautiful month. So glad to be out of January. It took forever. Longest month of the year. Yeah. But we got 29 days this month. It's leap year. Oh, is it? It's leap year. Well, thank God for that. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Yes. So... Happy Black History Month. I think Steph has a little treat for you guys. I do. I do. So I am going to be giving y'all some Black trivia. Hopefully going to be giving y'all some facts that maybe you did or did not know. But hopefully I'm giving you facts that you did not know. So that you can go bless some of your people with some facts that they did not know. Right? So we're moving past Martin Luther the King and Malcolm X because we know about them. Okay? And Thurgood Marshall. And I do say Martin Luther the King because he is a king. (laughs) Yes, he is. So I am here to talk to you guys about Sade Tanner Mossel Alexander. And that is a very long name. I give my kids very long names too. Okay. And she was born January 2nd, 1898. She was a pioneering Black professional and civil rights activist of the early to mid 20th century. In 1921, Maso Alexander was the second African-American woman to receive a PhD and the first one to receive one in economics in the United States. In 1927, she was the first Black woman to receive a law degree from the University of Pennsylvania Law School and went on to become the first Black woman to practice law in the state. All right, lawyer. She was also the first national president of Delta Sigma Theta sorority, serving from 1919 to 1923. Mazel and her husband were active in the civil rights, both in Philadelphia and nationally, okay? So she went on to do various things in President Ronald Reagan's um, office and also President Jimmy Carter. So she did a variety of many different things, and I just thought you should know about her. So now you do. The more you know. The more you grow. Yes. Let's go. Let's go. There you have it. Now, we're going to move on. So, MD, now that you know the official, you know, grab your coffee since you came up with it. <laughs> well, you tweaked it. And I lo- I actually love it. I mean, so, the people the people tweaked it. I love it. Grab your coffee if it's the morning, your lemonade if it's the afternoon, and honey, grab your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. All right. Now, our case for today is entitled, I Want What You Have. Mm, I want what you have. Give me what you got. For a pork chop. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Give me what you got for a... Let's go, Steph. Give me. 
give me what you got for it. What shot? Ooh. All right. So, y'all, we are headed to Buford, Georgia. And we catch up with George and Tia Young. And George and Tia Young, they arrive in Buford, Georgia, which is a small which is a small suburb right outside of Atlanta. And they arrive there from South Carolina. And let me tell y'all something about George, okay? Can I paint the picture? Paint it. I mean, okay. grab your brush. I'm grabbing it. Okay, because George is a tall piece of chocolate. But not, you know, I, I guess I can't say chocolate because really he's a light-skinned man, but he's 6'5", curly hair, looking like, you know, what what's a good description? I'm trying to get one for you. Genuine. Genuine. <laughs> <laughs> that's what when I saw this man, that's what I thought of. I mean, he doesn't look exactly like genuine, but like I think that that's that's how you paint the picture. Yeah, like genuine, so more fair skin than fair skin than genuine, but the hair same, taller than genuine, but in his in George's youth, same build, right? For sure, taller than genuine. I'll be sure. Right, I'll be sure. Right, right. Um, very, very handsome. I mean, and even though I mean he was like mid in his mid forties, um, curly hair, definitely my type of guy. Okay, let's just be real. Six five, just a nice looking young guy. And even though he, I'm saying young, but he was in his mid, you know, mid forties, and. He was a hard worker. He was a hard working man. And he and Tia had been together for since they were in high school. Yep, you they know, were high school sweethearts. They were high school sweethearts. And he was in love with Tia. I mean, anything he could do to please Tia, he would do it. And he was a security tech guy. And this was in 2016, 2017. They moved out there from South Carolina. And we all know that security tech is booming. You know, that's still booming to this day. I mean, 2016, that wasn't too far ago. So, I mean, even still right now, security technology is one of those things that a lot of people are into. And it's still something that is making a lot of money. And so when he moved from South Carolina that was something he knew that was going to bring in a lot of income for him and his family. And they had three young boys that they were supporting. And Tia was in the medical field. She actually was a CNA. Um, so that's a, um, a nurse assistant. And so she was a doting, loving mother. And so she was um, making sure that she was taking care of her sons and taking care of her husband. And they were both putting each other first. They adored each other. They were making time for one another, but especially making time just for their family in general. And they didn't have any, any problems. They got a house out there in Buford, Georgia, and they were having just a good time. And I would say they were, they were a good family who had a nice house out in the suburb and it was what most people would want. Would you think so? Yeah, I think they had the American dream, right? Like they were the typical middle-class average family in the hustle and bustle of raising a young, you know, a young and up and coming family. They had these three boys and they were just, 
they were living out the American dream. They had the house, they had the kids, they had the careers, and they loved each other. Right. And so during this time, although they left South Carolina, there was one friend in particular that George kind of just never lost touch with. And we all have that one friend that we, you know, although we may lose touch from time to time, we still, you know, every now and then we'll talk to them and just, you know, catch up with them and try to see what they're up to. And his name was Harvey Timothy Lee. Once again, we run into these long names. They didn't go too far away from us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Harvey Timothy. But they called him Tim. They called him Tim. And so George and Tim... They knew each other from childhood and Tim just always was one of those friends that they always kind of ran into some trouble. You know, we all have that one friend. At least I do. They always, they always have something going on. And Tim moved out to Atlanta and it's not clear if they, if he moved out to Atlanta at the same time or he moved out to Atlanta, you know, are you sure if he moved out to Atlanta at the same time or before? Oh, I, I think it was subsequent. I think it was subsequent too, but shortly, like, you know, around the, the time that they were out there and they were living their lives. You right. know what I mean? Like it was, but I think it was after George and Tia had already moved out there. Right. And I mean, it's something about, and, and y'all know what I'm talking about. It's something about people moving out to Atlanta for whatever reason <laughs> they think that Atlanta's going to change their lives. Listen, they, you know, and I know we have a lot of family that live in Atlanta and some friends. And if they're listening, I know that they say, listen, Atlanta is closed. Stop coming. <laughs> we feel the same way here in Dallas. Like stop. We're, we're closed. We're closed for business. But Atlanta does, especially for black, it's the black Mecca, right? Like, and people think if I can get out there and it, it what has not helped is that Tyler Perry's out there now. <laughs> people really believe like if I can just, Tyler just need to see me. Like if he could just see me. If he could just hire me. My life will be changed. It's kind of like the new Hollywood it is. in a way. It's the Atlanta black is the black Hollywood and people believe if I can just get out there, same way people believed about Hollywood, then I can like live out the dream and and change my life. Right. And so there's Tim. And that's what he thought too. Right. But But he didn't have a plan. No. And so he was unemployed, right? And he just found himself in hard times. And so George, being the good friend that he was, he said, man, hey, I'm out here. I got a good job. He was contracting himself out to different security firms. And so he was doing good. And he said, man, hey, won't you come out here? I got a house. I'm doing well. I'll hire you. I got you. You know what I'm saying? You can come stay with me for a little bit until you get on your feet. Come out. You'll work with me. And then you get your own apartment. Come on. Stay with me. And so he started to stay with George. And everything was going good. You know, between 2016 to 2017, everything is going well. Even with Tim staying with them. You know, and it's really going well because if you think about it, George is such a good guy, like in terms of like, dude, you don't even have to pay me anything. Like just save up some money (laughs) and get out. Like, you know, so that you can pay a little bit towards whatever. And Tim did. Tim picked Mm -hmm. up like a bill, but like he was just, he was basically 
banking in banking money. He was he wasn't gonna find a better situation than right. this. But Tim really wanted to help him get on his feet mm -hmm. and see that he could go and do what he was doing. Like go replicate what I'm doing. I'm giving you the blueprint. Go go replicate the plan, bro. Like right. go go shoot the jumper, bro. But the thing is, is that Tim wasn't as hard of a worker as George. Like George was a hard worker. If you can't, you know, pick up on that, that from what we're saying, like he was a self-made, hardworking man. Not only did he have, like you said, his business for security tech, but that he subcontracted himself out to, but he also would work as a security, you know, what security guard, security officer mm -hmm. on the side, like mm -hmm. for, you know, mainstream artists and rappers and different people that will come into town, celebrities and stuff that will come into Atlanta because Buford is about 30 miles outside of Atlanta. So mm -hmm. it's just, you know, a hop, skip and a jump. And he would, you know, work to make sure he just was a hustler. Oh, yeah. He I mean, wanted to grind. He wanted to make sure he provided for his family. Right. But Tim didn't have that same work ethic. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, this... But it was okay. Like, but so George didn't put a whole lot of pressure on no, him. No, it was no pressure. That was the the thoughts that I just gave was really kind of in terms of the employers that employed that subcontracted work with George. They they mentioned that we liked him. Tim was cool. Tim was cool, but he didn't work like George. And really, we wouldn't have even mess with Tim. Had it not been for George. George. And that's okay, right? Because mm -hmm. this was George's passion. Mm -hmm. He was just opening up a door for Tim to be able to make money. You know, oftentimes it's not so much that you have a different work ethic as much as it may not be your passion, right? So like when you find that thing that works for you, you'll grind to many hours of the night because you just love to do that thing, right? This was George's thing he loved it he loved everything about security tech and so it just kind of it was the thing that got him up and got him to going every day this was just a job for tim mm -hmm. but george wanted to give him an opportunity just to be able to get some money right and just to get on his feet like to put him in the position where it's like okay now you're back on your feet bro you're you're back in a position where you can can get to where you're not living with my family and you're now employed to get back into whatever it is that your passion is and you can you know hustle and have that work ethic that you're talking about and so like i said from 2016 to 2017 the family is absolutely thriving you know tia is in her career she's doing well the family in general the young family is doing very well but in the fall of 2017 Tia loses her job. And so that, of course, puts tension on the household financially. But George takes everything in stride, right? Like George is just, I, I would say he's a he's a traditional man, right? Like he he doesn't put any pressure on Tia. He's not like, like, babe, go get a job. Hey, figure this out. You lost your job, you so lost what's your next? <laughs> Wrap it up, Tia. <laughs> Let's All go. right, go on. Put I'm the sorry you lost your job, but we need to get another right. one. But for him, he just says, all right, no pressure, babe. Like, I'm just about to go get some more work. Like, whether that's my side work, working security with rappers, he or, you know, getting more contract with cybersecurity. That's what he, he just figures it out. And so that, of course, means he's working more hours and he's working 
more than usual. And so he's outside of the home more. She, however, never volunteers to go and work, you know, or put in more applications, right? She just kind of is like, all right, right, babe. She just became content, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she was like, okay, well, you got this? You got it. I'm going to take care of home. Like, if you got this, then I'm going to take care of home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you mentioned that, he was gone more. I want to paint a paint the picture of how much he would be gone. One of his coworkers would say that sometimes he would leave the house at seven in the morning mm-hmm. and he wouldn't get back until 1 a.m. So this man would be gone the whole day, you know, and by the time he gets back, everybody sleep. He's waking up probably before everybody gets up and he's doing this thing all over again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason he's doing that is because he wants to make sure his family it's good. It's good. And he could replace the income that Tia was bringing into the house. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, he didn't complain about it. He didn't say it wasn't fair. He just, he just did it. He did it. Mm-hmm. He just did it. And, you know, and, and, and you never really know, you know, what those dynamics were to kind of play devil's advocate. You never know what that, what those dynamics look like, because, you know, I can say easily what what that would look like in my household, you know, what that would play out and look like. But we don't really know the intricacies of what that looked like in their household. You know, I, you just never really know how that exactly played out. Absolutely. And yeah. so I like to kind of say, you know, in these cases where we look at that and we say, well, what the heck was she thinking? You know what I mean? But we just really never know. We we know what we would think and we know what we would do. But the truth of the matter is, is that we have really no clue on what that looked like for George or Tia. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, every marriage is different. And so what works in one marriage is, may not work. Like what works in your marriage is mm-hmm. not going to work and may or may not work in my marriage because I'm married to a different man, you know? So it may, I know men that don't want their husband, their wives to work. They want their wives to raise their kids until they are off in school. And then even then, I don't really want you to be, to work a job that's going to really keep you pulled away because I want your, your primary focus and it's agreed upon it's not just like the husband thinks this the wife agrees and this is what she wants right and then i also know the the opposite dynamic where the husband's like listen like i yeah it would be great for you to be home but finances ain't allowing for you to be home right i need you to work i need you to help me and so the wife and the husband agreed to get additional help to be able to raise their kids relationship obviously because i mean the relationship's different right like she doesn't have the money coming in. He's working long hours. That's just going to put tension on the relationship by default, right? So George is actually saying verbally that he actually is happy that at least Tim is at the house while he's away, right? Tim is still working with him doing his contract work, but you know, Tim is not doing the security work with him. And he's saying, "I'm happy because at least I know that my wife is like being protected at home. And so is my boys because, you know, there's a man there. And Tia and Tim's relationship is like blooming, like in terms of friendship, because when the boys are away at school, because all three of the boys are in school. So when they're away at school and it's just Tim and Tia at home, 
they're watching movies together in Tim's room and spending a lot more time together. And they call each other brother and sister, and they're just spending a lot more time together and hanging out, and, you know, just friendly and having fun. And what do you think about that? I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I also know how this case ends. So, I mean, I, I mean, th- but just on, you know, just face value. I, I think it's, I under, I can, I think one of the questions I want to, I want to flip this question back to you. I want to ask you, would you invite a, a, a friend, like one of Joel's friends, would you allow one of Joel's friends to come stay and live with you and your family? For an extended period of time? either period like what and and if not an extended what at what point is too long it's too too much okay so i would say that they would they could come and stay but it would be a time limit agreed upon between me and my husband and they i would not feel comfortable watching movies in a room not in a bedroom not in a bedroom like if we in the living room where the main yeah that's one thing yeah i just wouldn't feel comfortable watching movies because that's what they were in the bedroom they were in the bedroom his bedroom right right no i agree i think we would we have i think my husband and i we've allowed so many people to come live with Y'all us have. over the years we're like kind of the you know if you need somewhere to stay we got you <laughs> type of people but with every single person that has lived with us and we've had men live with us we've had women Women. live with Mm -hmm. us and with every person that we've allowed to live with us we sit down together as a couple and we say this is the deadline to which you have got to be out like we will help you right want to allow you to stay here to be able to do whatever you need to do to get on your feet or sometimes it's been just where it's not i'm trying to get on my feet i'm waiting for something to be completed and whatever that may be we're like at x date though you gotta go whereas i feel like when i was listening to this story and researching this story it seemed like there was an indefinite period of time to which right. Tim could stay right and it wasn't like you gotta go yeah 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 you know y'all gonna have to tell you tell right. us what y'all think right y'all gonna have to say we have a poll question about this and you, we we need you to answer right moving forward so <laughs> because you're so uncomfortable with it it like, is it's very uncomfortable you're like <laughs> so yeah i mean they were you know this is their friendship was blooming and it was growing at the time and everything seemed to come everything seemed to be somewhat decent they started to find this rhythm george was working all hours of the night tim was continuing to work but when he was home him and tia's relationship friendship was growing and everything seemed fine until November 16th, 2017 at 11.31 p.m. A call came in to 911. And the caller is describing that she had heard two two shots fired while she was in her bed. And she jumped up to figure out what, what it was. She, she exclaimed that at that time her brother ran downstairs to figure out where these gunshots were because it just sounded too close to the house and so 
the the brother was outside to determine if everything was okay and then you can hear the brother come back in and the brother is saying that it's your husband so if you haven't picked up on it yet the caller is tia and the brother is tim because because that's her brother because that's her brother and that's what she was calling him she's like my brother and you can hear you actually on this episode they actually play the nine the actual nine one one call and so you can hear Tia and Tim talking like it's your husband and she's like oh my gosh it's it's my husband and and so the nine one one operator is like okay well can you guys go out and see if he is alive and she's like oh my gosh no no I I'm I'm too scared I'm not I I couldn't bear to see it. I couldn't bear to see him like that. And she's like, okay, but we need to see if he needs CPR. Can one of you give CPR? And she actually knows CPR, right? Why would she know CPR, Steph? She's a nursing assistant. And so that's like a requirement of any person's job in the medical profession. You must know CPR. She is like, I just can't. I, I, I just cannot bear. I am not able to get out there. And so the 911 caller is like, well, can your brother do it? And he's just like, I don't, I don't know CPR. And she's like, I, that's okay. Because I actually can walk you through what you need to do. And he's like, no, I'm not going to be able to do it. So the ambulance finally arrive. But as soon as they arrive, Steph, they find George's body and he is deceased. There's nothing that they can do for him because at this point, he's deceased and and the obvious you know appearance of the of his body seems that he has two bullet wounds uh to his body he had one that was fired in his upper chest and then one that was in his his upper face like the cheek cheek area and so the police are you know they're they're starting their investigation i mean the, the investigation starts the moment that they arrive and they find george's body was positioned on the ground his feet were toward the door his arms were out to the side and his face was looking up and they notice that the key that there is a key in the front door it's actually still in its like you can tell that what was the last thing that happened was he was trying to open the door to the house and he was obviously ambushed at that time. And so they, you know, are trying to figure out, okay, what could possibly have happened? What, what would be the motive here for this? This man is walking into his home at night to go to get into his house and he is ambushed at this point. So they're trying to figure out, is this a robbery? Is this like, you know, what is what what could possibly be the cause of this? And they easily rule out robbery stuff because not only was the keys in the front door, because like, why not take the key if you're trying to rob? Like, why not take the key or like burst into the house and try to steal something in the house? This wasn't happening. So but then they also find that he still had his vehicle keys on him. He had his iPhone on him everything in terms of his vehicle were seemed to be completely in order and undisturbed and so it's very clear to the investigators that this is not a robbery so what could this be so they you know of course they sit down with tim and t uh tim and tia 
to identify like what happened leading up to this situation. And Tim, he, you know, he gives them his story. He's like, you know, I was sitting down at my laptop, I was working, um, and I heard a single gunshot. And so it's, and I noticed that that gunshot sounded rather close to the house. So I get up and a second later, I hear another gunshot. And so my first reaction was to run up the stairs and grab my gun, cause I have a pistol. So I'm a, he grabbed his pistol and he ran back downstairs and sees, oh my gosh, it's George. Now Tia, she claims that she was upstairs sleep. And so she was awakened by the sound of the gunshot because again, it was so close to the proximity of the house. And so she hears these two loud gunshots. She wakes up. And she's thinking, okay, was that a gunshot or a firecracker? Because, you know, for her, she said they sound so similar, but she was easily able to rule out that it was a firecracker because she was like, why would that be happening this late at night? So she yells down to Tim asking if he heard it. And he's like, yeah, I'm about to check it out. And so this is the preliminary story that Tim and Tia give to the police. So the police are taking that all in. And so, you know, one of the things that stood out to the investigators is that the proximity of the gunshot sounded so loud in the home. Now they're like, okay, well, let's go figure out what the kids heard, right? But as they go to talk to the kids, they recognize the kids are fast asleep. I mean, even in this moment, after the police have surrounded the house and they're doing their investigation, the the kids, the three boys are sound asleep in their beds, undisturbed. Now that's not, you know, Steph, do you think that's super unusual? What do you think? What are your thoughts about that? I mean, yes and no. Yes and no. I think it's unusual, but not unusual. I would say it's unusual just because he was shot so close to the house and gunshots are very loud. Like, you know, they are. If you ever been to a shooting range and shot a gun, and you you have to have those those um I'm saying headphones, but they're like they're better than headphones. Yeah, they're sound soundproof, <laughs> soundproof yeah. headphones mm -hmm. because they're so freaking loud. Like you know what I mean. So with it being so close to the house, I I would think that they would at least hear it. And then with the sirens going off and all of the, the chaos surrounding it, I would think that at least one of the kids would wake up, you know. But then also kids, they can sleep. Man, hard. they can they get into that sleep and yeah, it's like that REM kids, sleep. And I know I have four kids. Now not all four of them are sound deep sleepers, but mm -hmm. I have like two that I'm like it's like waking the dead. Like, right. you know, they are, Same. they are just not going to hear anything. Mm -hmm. But then I have my other two are going to hear it. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to wake up They're They are sensitive to sound so much. And so that I still have sound machine, sound machines in their room because I don't want them to easily be able to wake up once right. they go to bed. So I just, I guess I would expect at least one of them to wake, you know, one or two, like you said, I have, you know, one or two that I'm like, okay. They would sleep, but then maybe the other two. So, yeah. But, yeah. So, you know, a little strange, possibly, but maybe depending on the kid, maybe not so strange. Well, you know, the investigators continue to do their investigation. So they go as they, as most investigators do, go canvas the neighborhood because 
what did you hear? What did you see? It's you never know who could potentially be a witness. And so they get to one neighbor who says, you know, I did, you know, I heard the gunshots and it, it was close, the sound. So I look out the window like any good nosy neighbor would. Because I'm going to do that Because I'm going to look out the window. I may not walk outside, but I'm going to look out this window and see what I can see. And so she did that. She looked out the window and, and she had like a clear vantage point to the house to where George and Tia lived and she noticed that there was a man that right after the gunshots was like crouching low Mm -hmm. next to what was George's vehicle and then he gets they there she said she noticed that the man was like searching underneath the vehicle with his hand like looking and searching under the vehicle and that he grabbed something but you know, she didn't know what it was. It was too dark. She couldn't see what it was or what he was doing, but she just thought that was odd, right? So investigators put that in, in their back pocket, like, okay, that's that's interesting. So they continue to do their investigation. They're trying to figure out, you know, last steps, the last what were, what were George's last 24 hours leading up to this this his murder? What was he doing? And so George that night was working at a security uh, event. He was security for a very large event. A celebrity was in town and he was the acting security. And the event was at a well-known popular mall. And so they were able to pull surveillance video because they were like, well, maybe something happened. Maybe somebody followed him home. Maybe there was some kind of altercation. They just are trying to make sure that they can close the loop on everything to rule out anything that could possibly be anybody that could possibly be a suspect. Mm -hmm. And so they obtain the video surveillance and there's nothing that appears to be odd. Mm -hmm. George did his job. He did it well Mm -hmm. and he left. So they pull his phone records, right? And we talked last week just about how, you know, it takes a while to pull these phone records. So this is not happening immediately after they find George's body. This is some time after they're able to get a search warrant, they're able to get the records to come in, but they get these phone records and they're able to see that George was on the phone step with this particular number, not only leading up to his death, like he literally hung the phone up at like 11, 30 and he was shot at like 11 32 or 11 33 so he was like literally you could tell he got off the phone probably as he was pulling into his driveway but not only was he talking to this number leading up to his death but he talked to this number quite excessively over the course of like months okay And so they're like, okay, this is somebody that we need to talk to because not only was he probably this, this person was probably the last known person to talk to him before he died. But this person obviously has some sort of good relationship with George because they talked all of the time. Who was he talking to? He was talking to a woman by the name of Trish. Now Trish was a coworker of his. They both worked security and so they have been working together for i want to say six years and they had grown pretty close during that time and so the investigators are like okay this could potentially be a motive 
Now, Trish was also married. George is married. Trish is married. But George and Trish, they're talking quite often. And not only that, Trish didn't live in Buford. She lived like in a, you know, one of the neighboring, neighboring cities. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that George's phone would ping off of the city in which she lived. Mm-hmm. And, and and not only that, he would, there's, there's his financial statements show that he was in this city often. He was going to the movies. He was, you know, buying food in the city. What and, are you doing? And so George? what are you doing? So Trish, you know, the police are like, okay, this is it right here. So they just come straight out. What was the nature of your relationship with George? And she was like, we were just really, really good friends. And that's it. That's all. And so they asked, so did you go to the movies with George? Yeah, we would go to the movies. Did did George's wife know that y'all were going to the movies together? Does your husband know that George was going to the movie? Y'all were going to the movies together? And she's like, I don't know if they would know, but it was not, it wasn't anything deep. It wasn't, that's not what we were. So Steph, I have a question for you. <laughs> Should you confide in a person of the opposite sex mm-hmm. on how to fix your relationship. And I'm asking that because Tia established to the investigators or Trish, Trish established to the investigators that in the recent months, mm-hmm. George began to tell her that his marriage was experiencing some difficulties. So this is the investigators first clue that this marriage that they thought was really just beautiful and the model marriage really had some holes in it and it wasn't as picture perfect as it appeared to be and so george was confiding in trish saying hey you know we're struggling tia has grown distant we you know i don't know what to do and trish was the sounding board and somebody to offer advice to do you think that that's appropriate. It it is not appropriate. I say that because it's a slippery slope, right? Like it may seem like a good idea in at least initially, because you know you may think this person is the opposite sex. They may be able to give me some good advice, like into what that person may be thinking, because they are the opposite sex and they may be able to give me some good, you know, tips and tricks and may be able to, you know, tell me something and give me a good, you know, perspective. But I think it turns into what Trish eventually like explains which is we start going to the movies well did your husband know y'all was going to the movies well no did tia know y'all was going to the movies well no was it romantic i mean no but they didn't know we was you know what i'm saying like it becomes a slippery slope and before you know it you know those feelings of platonic platonic feelings start to turn romantic you know real quick because you start to have these feelings and and it just becomes slippery. You know what I mean? Real, real quick. And so you're better off just going to a therapist. <laughs> Seriously, you're better off going to a therapist and 
you're better off if you are going to talk to anybody. I mean, at the bare minimum, talk to somebody that you're your significant other has given you permission to talk to. So for example, you know, there may be, maybe you do want some insight in how, or you want that person to go talk to your girl. Cause she's like, I can't get through to her. Like my husband can come talk to you, right? right. Like he has 1000 permission. He has 1000% permission to, to call my sister and talk to my sister. Right. Because if anybody gonna understand me, it's gonna be my sister. And if anybody can get to me and get me to understand that maybe I'm not seeing things the you know in a fair way, my sister can do that, right? So I just think that it is like you said, a slippery slope. It does not mean that it leads to something bad, but it it opens the possibility to leading to something bad or something inappropriate. Right. So you have to. You just have to be careful. But I'm interested to hear, we're interested to hear what y'all have to say or what you think, because, you know, everybody has a different perspective, right? Like everybody thinks different, but, you know, just for me, you know, it's That's a, a no. It's a no. It's a no for us. But I'll just say this, Trish basically gives the investigators insight that they didn't have. They weren't able to prove that there was something more than a platonic relationship between Trish and George. Yeah, because that's all there was no evidence. There was no evidence for that. But what they are able to see is that they that George and Tia were not on the up and up. Right. There was there was problems there. And it was believed according to Trish, what George said is that Tia wanted to get a divorce. Yeah, Tia wanted a divorce. And she was like, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Right. I don't fully understand that phrase. I know we use it culturally a lot, but I don't fully understand it. Mm-hmm. But she just felt like, hey, you know, I feel like our, our relationship has run its course. course. And he felt, but George was insistent he that- He wanted to fix it. He wanted to fix it. And he wanted to figure out what he needed to do to make their marriage work. Right. And he just, he was determined to- figure out ways to make it better. And he wasn't quite sure what it was. I think that was the biggest thing um, that was apparent between his relationship with Trish is he was trying to figure out the disconnect. He was just like, I don't understand what happened. Like, what? why is she not in love with me anymore? Yeah, what, what changed? Like, it mm-hmm. seemed like this happened overnight in, mm-hmm. in, in a sense. So the investigators are now armed with just a little bit more information to be able to start kind of looking back at Tia. Right. And start looking back at this so-called brother relationship that she had with Tim. Right. So investigators right now, they're just trying to really put the pieces together. And I don't know, I can't remember because MD went through a lot of information. Um, But the one thing that they found on scene when they were collecting evidence and canvassing the area, when they found George's body, they found one casing, shell casing from the gun. And he got shot twice, right? So he got shot in the face and he got shot in the chest. And they only were able to recover one shell casing, but they were unable to recover the second. And so they figured that the person who shot him, they were able to retrieve the second 
the second shell casing. So investigators were trying to figure out, okay, well, golly, we only got one. They weren't able to retrieve or to cook. They weren't able to find the murder weapon either. So they were able to collect the shell casing, which is always a good thing. So immediately, I want to say maybe a couple of days after um, George Young's body was, you know, autopsied and they were able to pinpoint his cause of death and also able to verify that no CPR was performed on his body. They um, were called, well, Tia Young called the news in Gwinnett County and she wanted to do a interview with them to raise money, a GoFundMe which a lot of people do to raise money for their family when someone dies tragically the way that George did so that their family can stay afloat, right? Because, you know, he died tragically. It was unexpected and they needed some money for their family. So she gets on the local news and she basically just tells, you know, the public that she, I mean, she's in tears and she is really upset with her boys. And she basically tells everyone that she believes that it was some type of gang initiation that took place. And she was so upset that her husband, her loving husband was killed and she needs the public's help to, you know, take care of her boys. And she was, out of work when this happened and she was really dependent on George's income to take care of her boys but now she no longer has that and you know she talks about Tim and how he was there for her but you know she just how she just needs help right and so the local police you know they're they're looking at this and they're just they're just trying to put the pieces together so they bring in Tia and Tim the very next day down to the police station to question them and try to see what they know about what happened and to just kind of connect the dots together and put the pieces of the puzzle together. And continuously throughout the interview, Tim and Tia are constantly referencing each other. They're saying, you know, my brother, my brother, my brother, my brother, my sister, my brother, my sister. And so, you know, the police, they're just like, okay, is this really your brother? Because this is how much they're over-referencing each other as brother and sister. And so the police are like, is this really your brother and sister? Like, we don't don't really understand. And so this is where they finally say, no, you know, he's really not my brother, you know, but we've known him so long that, you know, this is why we're saying this. So they confront him about the neighbor that MD mentioned that said they saw somebody crouching outside of George's truck after he was killed and, you know, reaching down to get something on his truck. And this is when Tim says, oh, you know, I didn't mention this before, but that was a tracker that I put on George's vehicle because George actually asked me to put this tracker on his vehicle for a safety measure because someone was actually stalking George and they asked of course why were they stalking him and he said well I didn't want to mention this before but 
now that the coast is clear, I want you to know that George was actually involved in a like a gun ring where he was selling guns. And I wanted to not mention this for like for the sake of his reputation, because George had such a stellar reputation in the community. I didn't want this to go against, you know, his reputation. He was actually running, running guns in and out of Florida. And he was he no longer wanted to participate in this. And so, you know, somebody was stalking him. So he wanted me to kind of like track his whereabouts for his safety. And so when he got shot, I think it was because of his, you know, his, him dealing these guns. I wanted to just kind of like take the tracker off for the sake of his reputation. And so so the police are like, what? Why would why would you not want to tell us this? And he said, you know, I just, I, you know, it really was just for his reputation. But now that you guys know about it, like, I, you know, I just wanted to tell you. Thinking that, like, in his criminal mind, <laughs> lack of <laughs> either one, <laughs> he's feeling like, okay, now, you know, all bets are off. The suspicion will be off of me. I'm telling the truth now. But he has now made himself the prime suspect. So now that he has said this, he's now prime suspect number one. They are equipped with a search warrant to go back into Tim's, or not Tim's, but into George's and Tia's home. So they go in and they get a search warrant. They take Tim's firearm and um, they find a rifle. Uh, it's a, a Smith & Wesson rifle that they find um they go and they find another they go back into the house and they get another warrant and they find the tracking device that he took off of george's car and they also find tim and tia's cell phones right now up until this point Tim and Tia have said they're just brothers and sisters. That's it. No relationship, no nothing. That is all. That's it. That's all. So <laughs> you have to know that after Tim, well, after George had been killed, the very next day, Tim goes to the security contract company where George had been working and also where Tim had been working and had gotten work, he goes in and he wants to continue his work there, even after George has been killed, right? And he goes into the place of business and he's talking to the business guy. Now, the very next day after George has been killed, and he says, you know, he has on his same clothes from yesterday. And he says, hey, I just want I just want to ask you if I can continue to work here. I know George is is, you know, gone now, but I just want to see if I can still work here. And so the guy is just like, man, George, George just died yesterday. Ye yesterday. And he's like, yeah, I know that. But, but I'm just trying to make sure that, like, you're going to give me some work and maybe I can even pick up some of the jobs that George was doing. And he's just, like, I just don't think it's appropriate for us to have this conversation because he just died. 
And he says, well, you know, I, you know, I, I know, man, you know, you're right. You're right. You're right. I just, you know, I just wanted to see. And he's just like, yeah, but yeah, no, we're not going to have this conversation. He said, well, you know, I did try to, you know, render CPR. I did give him CPR. I did try to save his life. That's what he told the people. Now, if y'all remember at the top of the episode, MD said he or Tia didn't give any type of CPR. Neither one. Even though the 911 operator was insistent that I will walk you through this. And the autopsy also revealed that no CPR was rendered on George's body. They can, they can determine that. So, you know, it's the lies mm-hmm. at this point, right? All right. So that same person that Tim was talking to, who was George's business part- partner in the security contract business, he made sure that he would go after George had died, he would go over to Tia's house and check up on Tia and the boys and just make sure that they were okay. You know, he just wanted to take care of George's family because he loved George. And he said that on one particular day, Tia insisted that he stay over and help her find this life insurance policy. And just to be clear, this was like a week after George had passed. So just for time purposes, so you know. Yes. And she was insistent. She was like, no, you have to stay over and help me find it. I have to find this life insurance policy. So she goes over, she rifles through her belongings. She finds it. And when she finds it, she is giddy. She's like, oh my gosh, I found it. I found it. I found it. And so he, you know, he, she hands it over to him. She was like, you know, look at it. And it's it's a life insurance policy. She's the sole beneficiary. And it's for a million dollars. And she is so giddy. She calls up the life insurance policy and the life insurance. And she's like, this is just going to take care. I can't wait for this to come through. This is going to take care of us. I just cannot wait. This is going to change everything. And she was trying to figure out how soon can she get this money. So now that they have found the cell phone for Tim and Tia. Now, if you guys are a part of our paid subscription, you guys know that I did an episode last week about digital evidence surrounding cell phones. And you guys have to understand that digital evidence surrounding cell phones are something that is going to change the game of true crime. And I just cannot wait. <laughs> you guys don't understand. That is a that is like what forensics have done for DNA evidence has done for true crime. That is what digital evidence is doing for true crime cases today. It's amazing. And that's what digital evidence has done for this case. And so it, it's amazing what it did for Tia and Tim. And I'm so happy that it did it for them. And I know they hate it, but thank God. Okay. So cell phones, they're a mirror to our hearts. Would you agree with that, Indy? Yeah, I think so. They're a mirror to our hearts. And they were for sure a mirror to Tim and Tia's hearts, whether they liked it or not. Okay. So it brought up all the evidence and they were not brothers and sisters because what they were talking about is not what I talk about with my brother at all. 
or who I call my quote unquote brother, my play brother. You remember we used to do play brother and sister? Oh yeah, play cousin, all that. All that. So indeed, as you guessed it, probably halfway through this episode, Tia and Tim were not brother and sister. They were indeed having an intimate sexual relationship. And they tried to delete those messages. And part of the reason why they had that tracker device on George's car was because they were trying to figure out when he was coming home so that they could not be caught in each other's bedrooms. Because they weren't watching movies. They were having sex. Okay? And they were being caught in each other's room by Tia and George's sons and their friends. And they actually found on Tia's cell phone a meme of a fortune teller. And the fortune teller was telling a woman that her husband would meet a violent death. And the wife's response to the fortune teller was, will I get convicted? And what this indicated to police was that she knew exactly what was going to happen to her husband. So this was not a situation where Tim was just going to kill George and she had no idea. No, she knew exactly what was going to happen. She helped to plan it. She was very aware. So once they were able to view all the digital evidence that was on both her and Tia and Tim's phone, they both, or they brought both of them back in for an interview and they had email evidence and they printed all of their intimate emails out for them to see. And Tia, once she saw these emails printed for her to view and read aloud, her response was, I am so embarrassed. I, I, I am so embarrassed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this has nothing to do with George being murdered. That's what she said. This has nothing to do with him being murdered. And when Tim saw all the evidence placed in front of him, he said, I um, invoke my Fifth Amendment rights and I request a lawyer. <laughs> That's Which is the right thing to do, as I always tell you. Right. <clears throat> he should have never talked to him. Right. So... In April of 2018, Tia and Tim were arrested. They were charged with malice murder, felony murder, aggravated assault. They both entered pleas of not guilty. The judge denied both bonds. Um, The police, they had proof that they were lovers, but you know, that doesn't always prove murder. You know, they had to provide proof that they both wanted to get rid of George, you know, and why they wanted to get rid of George. I mean, they they didn't have to provide why, but they had to provide proof that they got rid of George or that they wanted to murder him and that they actually did murder him. So their trial, both of their trials, because they were on trial together, um, began in March of 2019. And... Um, as I said, they were on trial together and actually MD asked about Tia and George's children being sleep. And we actually find out why, because 
in November in 26, in November on the 16th, Tia's son goes on trial and testifies that he was giving sleeping meds on the night of the murder. And he had been given sleeping meds by his mother. So. And this was something that she would occasionally do. And yeah. so he, he testified at their trial that occasionally my mom would give me sleeping medication to help me sleep through the night. And on the night of the the murder, she gave me sleeping medication, which is why they were sleeping so soundly when during the murder. So I guess on one hand, you could say, well, wow, she was uh, she cared enough about her kids that she made sure that they wouldn't hear their dad being killed. But then on the other hand, you're like, but she killed their dad. So, I mean, it's just really so, it's just so horrific that, you know, even if she didn't like him and even if she wanted him removed from the face of the earth, like you have these children that now are going to be without their father. And that to me is just so cruel. But Although there wasn't any, it was, you know, they had evidence that the the, te the text evidence is very damning in this case and uh, definitely points toward motive uh, and why they did it. But, you know, again, they still have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And what they ended up believing the story was, Steph, is that the tracker is what they used to be able to identify when George was pulling up to know when to go downstairs. And Tim basically saw that he was turning down the street. He went outside, he lied in wait. And as soon as George, you know, went to open the door, he shot George twice. And then he went and removed the tracker from under the car so that it would not look like they were tracking <laughs> his whereabouts. They did not ever find the gun. So they believe that on some way they must have you know gotten rid of the gun in between the time and what they were able to determine Steph is that there was about a 10 minute 10 to 15 minute gap I think it was 10 minute gap between when the gun was heard and fired and when they called 911 that's a long time you know, if I hear guns, I recognize, I mean, when you listen to what Tia's story was, Tia's story is, I hear these two guns, he immediately runs downstairs to find out what what happened. He said it was, it was, you know, George, I immediately called 911. Or even before he said it was George, I called 911. So the if, you know, according to her own timeline of events, that does not a lot for a 10 minute gap. So what were you doing in this 10 minutes? making sure he was dead before you called yeah that's what you were doing and getting rid of the gun mm -hmm. and so uh they come back with a verdict the jurors come back with the verdict and they uh find both of them guilty yeah and they did find that that shell casing i told you guys they found one shell casing they found that other shell casing it was tucked in a staircase groove in the house so he actually like in the midst of like because it was such on the schedule right the md was talking about because he didn't have time to do anything else like he had to literally do all these things in succession because 
of this tight schedule. Like it was, he had to be on this tight schedule. Like they couldn't perform CPR because none, listen, none of the things that the, the uh, shot in the chest wasn't fatal. The shot in the cheek wasn't fatal and they could not perform CPR because if they did, he would have lived and told on them and they still would go to jail. You see what I'm saying? So like, they were on this very tight schedule and they and he threw the murder weapon somewhere where they will never find it. You know what I mean? So tell us the sentencing. But they did find the shell casing. I wanted to say that. Yeah, so Tim is convicted of life without the possibility of parole. And Tim uh, and Tia was also convicted uh, of life with the possibility of parole in 2049. And so that my friends, is the case of George Young. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Before we do get into the takeaway, George's sisters um, approached his former boss, who is pretty much featured in every one of the documentaries, his former boss. Um, they approached his boss and wanted to do something in memory of George, and they created the George F. Young the Third Foundation, which helps children who are victims of parents or family members who have been murdered. So they actually go on to help people and, like, you know, help them recover and help them to, you know, recover from murder, which is something that that is needed in society. So, yeah, let's get into our takeaway. So, Steph, I'm going to let you give the takeaway for this case because we talked about it and we're the same. We have the same takeaway on this case. So, take it away. All right, on to the takeaway. So sad we don't have MD, but listen, life happens. So, you guys should know by now that I am a very impulsive person. And usually when we do takeaway, I am shooting by the seat of my pants. But with season six, I've been very strategic in the way that I have done our episodes. And so I've had time to actually think about the things that I want to say and the takeaway that I want to leave with you to share, hopefully with your friends and family, if not just kind of leaving you with a little more, a little bit more dip on your chip to think about in the days to come. So This is going to be a zoom out to zoom back in. So you're going to have to follow me like the preachers say. All right. So follow me. All right. So y'all, I actually got a ticket this past week and it was a decision, right? It was a choice that I made and I literally was going to go get a flying Dutchman. And if you go on TikTok and you watch all the trends, then you know what a flying Dutchman is. I was keto for like three years of my life. And I knew what a flying Dutchman was, but I never tried it with onions. And I just left the gym and I was feeling hyped up to go get some some protein, right? So I wanted to go try it. So I was at an intersection and this intersection usually allowed you to take a U-turn, right? And this time they just made this intersection illegal to allow you to make a U-turn. And so I got to this intersection where I usually was allowed to make a U-turn and I was kind of mad that I could no longer make a U-turn, right? So I was like, you know what? I was pissed. 
And I like to think, at least in my own mind, that I'm clairvoyant. So anything that I say is going to happen to me usually always happens, whether that be good or bad. So I got to the intersection and I found out that it was illegal. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bust this U-turn. And I don't see any policemen around. And... If I get a ticket, I get a ticket. But I just knew I wasn't going to get a ticket because I saw no policemen around. And so I hit that U-turn, y'all. And who did I see in my rear view? I saw those flashing lights, like Kanye said, okay? I saw those blue and red lights. And I was pissed. Oh, I was highly pissed. But I made my choice, right? I made my choice. And so those consequences on the table, yep, they were all mine. And so I had my Lululemon 30-liter crossbody on from the gym. And so I pulled that to the side of my body and I pulled out my wallet and I, you know, was pissed. And I, you know, went through my cards trying to find my license. And y'all, the good thing about it is, is that I have not received a parking speeding ticket in about 10 years. And that's because I realized, like my mother says, all that all that money and that their wallets, it's it belongs to me. And I am overspending it on the city in which I live. Okay, I, I'm over it. Okay, I got other ways in which I can spend my money and it's not for the city, okay? Not for that, not for those purposes. And so when I rolled down my window in all of my anger, right? And all of my attitude, even though the the choices that I made and consequences were all mine, they all belong to me, all of that accountability. I was pissed and I rolled down my window in the in the in the polite polite police officer said, well, ma'am, where were you going? And I didn't want to say, well, sir, I was trying to go to In-N-Out to receive the viral Flying Dutchman made with onions and cheddar cheese. I said, sir, I'm trying to go home Mm -hmm." because I was at that point. He said to me, he said, well, ma'am, I'd rather, I'd much rather educate you then give you a ticket. So if I come back to the car after checking your license and it's good, I'll just give you a warning. And so my attitude tempered itself, right? And I was like, okay, sir, you know, I wasn't as pissed, right? Because I knew he was going to come back to the car and give me a warning because I knew my driver record was good. So he comes back to the car and he gives me a warning and y'all end up going home because I didn't want that flying Dutchman anymore. But to zoom back in and to circle back to the George Young and Tia Young and Timothy Harvey situation, to circle back around, now that you have followed me, right? To circle back around. Listen, when people sign up for affairs, when they voluntarily enter into affairs, they hardly ever think about all the consequences that that choice means for them in that moment. These are consenting adults. They know that they're signing up for something that could lead to some pretty hard consequences, but they just think that it may lead to what? A divorce. They just feel like this could this this could possibly be a divorce. This could possibly end to my marriage ending. And if it doesn't end in that, then maybe this could, you know, lead to me and my husband 
getting the spark back into our marriage. Maybe this could lead, lead, you know, lead to the end of a, you know, a 30 year friendship ending. But they don't think about how it could possibly end in someone's death. They don't play the situation all the way out. And I'm going to tell you that I did not think when I got to the intersection and found out that what used to be a U-turn, I didn't realize that that was like lending towards accidents. That's what that police officer told me when he was educating me. After just telling me, hey, ma'am, like your driving record is good, you know, Thank you for not getting into any accidents. Thank you for following the rules and not getting any speedy tickets. He said, ma'am, the reason why we turn that into an illegal U-turn is because there's been so many accidents that have happened there. And so the reason why we're keeping like an eagle's eagle's eye right there, all that particular spot, and we've turned that into an illegal U-turn is because there's been so many accidents that, accidents that have happened there. And so we've been very strategic on saying, you know what, let's just go ahead and turn that into an illegal U-turn because people just need to go ahead and go into that shopping center and turn around at that at that traffic light and just go ahead and do it the long, go ahead and go the long way home because there's been too many accidents. And so I just wanted to do what was easier for me in that moment. But when you think about it, that I could have gotten into an accident that could have caused a death. It could have caused a death for someone else. It could have caused a death for me. And while you say, oh, Steph, that's very extreme, right? And it is extreme because it could have just caused an accident, right? But it was an avoidable accident. And it is extreme, but I could have died. And it could have been avoidable. But if we just play these scenarios of decisions that we make all the way out, we could avoid the avoidable. And I know what you're thinking, like, Steph, this really has, this is comparable, yes. This is parallel, yes. But this is, this is, this is not, you know, this is not as parallel, you know, but it is though. But it is because when you just really boil it all the way down, which is what I want to do, it really just comes down to choices. And I feel like as adults, we don't do that enough. We don't do that enough. But that's what we tell our teenagers to do. That's what we try to get them to do when they are making decisions and we're trying to teach them about the choices that they're making when they're developing their frontal cortex and they're trying to work their way through decisions and we're teaching them and we're trying to help them make the decisions that we're making, or I mean, that they're making. We're trying to get them to work through certain things. And I'm just saying that had Tia worked that out for herself and not just lived in that moment of impulsivity, she could have maybe avoided that affair of just pure fun with Tim, because that's really what that was. That was just fun for the moment. He was exciting for the moment because George really loved her. George was really hardworking. George really 
wanted to build with her. And that still can mean that she could have fell out of love with George and she really did not want to be with George. And maybe Tim really was where it was at, but really the choice was to divorce him. That was really the better choice because we enter into these decisions. We come to these crossroads just like I did. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Just like I did in that intersection situation. And instead of just taking the longer way, which is to go through the divorce process and to go ahead and go through the splitting process. And it's the longer way and just going ahead and being with Tim that way. You went ahead and you killed George and it still landed you in jail anyway. It still landed you in jail anyway. You still went to jail anyway. There was no, like, there was, you still ended up in jail. Do not pass go anyway, Tia and Tim. It did not, it afforded you nothing in the end anyway. So that is my takeaway. Y'all tell me what y'all think about my long takeaway because I took the long way. Y'all see how I did that? Okay, y'all tell me what y'all think because I didn't fly by the seat of my pants. Tell me what y'all think, okay? (laughs) So y'all, let's go ahead and talk about our poll from last week, our polling questions from last week. It was very layered. I love, love, love y'all's participation from last week. Let's talk about that. And then we'll get into our new section about crime in our communities. And then I have an update about a crime case that we talked about, oh gosh, about two years ago, but it is a new update about that crime case. And then, of course, I will let you guys go and give you guys an update about some new exciting things that we have going on here at Murder in the Black. And I will, of course, grant you guys the wish of seeing us next week. So let's go ahead and get into our polls and questions. Last week's case was Sarah Butler, Protect Black Women by All Means. Our poll question was, who has access to your password and cell phone accounts? 24% of you said it was your partner. 6% said friend. 48% said no one. And 21% of you said your family member. I wanted to stop before we got into our question and just encourage you because overwhelmingly, 48% of you said no one. So I know what you're probably thinking, and maybe when you guys read this poll question, you kind of just stopped at the password portion of the question. Now, I know a lot of us have our cell phone encrypted with a password. Makes sense. You want no one to have access to your password on your cell phone. Because let's face it, we have a lot of things on our cell phone that we don't want people to have access to, and I get it. But when I say who has access to your cell phone accounts. I really mean those records that belong to your cell phone provider, the records that have your cell phone data on it, who you've been talking to, the cell phone towers that are pinging your locations when you're making cell phone, um, cell phone 
phone calls and that data is pinging off of towers when you're text messaging and you're making phone calls out incoming and outgoing. That is what I mean. I'm not necessarily meaning who has your password um, to your actual cell phone. So with that being said, I'm going to ask that question again. Who has that password? Because when you go missing, those are the things that the investigators are more concerned about. They want access to those records because it is those records that show them who you were communicating with and where you were. So I'm going to ask you guys those questions again. And if that question is still no one, I want to really challenge you to find someone that you can trust with that information. Because while investigators can get that information, they can subpoena AT&T, T-Mobile, and those other cell phone providers for that information. We all know it takes them some time to get that information. It takes them weeks. It takes them sometimes months to get those information. And they those are that's precious time. We want to find you. We want to find missing people. And so if we have someone in your life or if you have someone in your life that you can trust with that password so that they so they can get that information as soon as possible, then we can find you hopefully as soon as possible. We can save some time because time is our friend in those cases. So I challenge you guys since overwhelmingly 48% of you said you have no one. And I'm not talking about just that password because normally when you go missing, your cell phone goes missing. So we're not talking about, <laughs> we're not talking about your cell phone password. We're not talking about that. So I just wanted to keep that in mind because I think sometimes people get kind of their vision gets clouded when they hear password and they, they kind of synonymously think you're talking about your password on your cell phone. Okay. So I just, I have to, I have to give my two cents when I say that because listen, I, I want to save lives. And I have to let you know, you got to be able to have at least one person in your life that you can trust. And usually if it's not a family member, it's most definitely at least a friend, a coworker, somebody. All right. Now, I loved you guys' participation and our questions. I think this is probably one of the best questions that I was able to come up with, at least for season six. So I asked you guys, what are the best practices and strategies for promoting the safety and well-being of Black women within the Black community? And I got a lot of really good responses. One of them was by Kay and Cody. So shout out to you, Kay and Cody. Kay and Cody actually came on our Instagram and left a response under our picture for Sarah Butler, which we feature pictures of all of our victims. And um, she came in and responded and said, I didn't have enough room on Spotify to respond. So I just wanted to respond. So if you are interested in hearing what Kay and Cody had to say, make sure you go on our Instagram. She gave a wonderful response. Um, and dare I say a dissertation that I definitely appreciated. So she said that the way that we can combat um, keeping black women safe in our community was this. She said violence against black women is a result of patriarchy, white fragility and mental illness. Communities fail when these type of stories occur. We have to teach people how to value self and others. 
Trina said, social media and empowerment events, Essence Fest, for example, wonderful example, AARP emails, they have many email lists for different age brackets. Wonderful, wonderful idea, Trina. K.A. Bryant 88 says, one, using Life360 app with family and friends so they can have access to your location. Two, create a safety code that can be used to communicate that you are in danger with family and friends. Stacy Adams says, buddy check-in. So all of those are wonderful ways. And I just thank you guys for your participation because I think a lot of times we can be highly educated women and we can do a lot of talking and have really, really great ideas, but we don't want to correlate and talk with one another about how we can engage and how we can look out for one another. So thank you guys so much um, for your participation this week in our polls and questions um, for the Sarah Butler case. I just think that was such a good conversation about what we can do for each other. So thank you so much. Let's go ahead and get into our crimes in our community segment, something I'm so excited about. So let's talk about it. I am so happy to finally be doing our bi-weekly segment called Crimes That Happen in Our Communities. Today's listener who sent in an article for me to feature that happened in her community of Davenport, Iowa, is Jess. So shout out to you, Jess, for sending in your article that you want us to feature. The name of today's article is called Woman Sentenced to 10 Years in Prison for Fatal Davenport Chuck E. Cheese Shooting. I will be including today's article link in our show notes in case you want to go and read the full article. I will not be reading the entire article for time purposes and copyright purposes as well. So if you want to go and read today's full article for more information, you are welcome to. It would be in today's show notes. So on October 25th, 2021, around 7.38 p.m., the 911 dispatcher in Davenport, Iowa, got a phone call that Eloise Chairs was shot. She had a gunshot wound and she was at the Chuck E. Cheese. She was transported over to Genesis East Hospital where she was pronounced dead less than an hour later. And she received that gunshot wound by a woman named Trishonda Poland. Witnesses told police that she was shot by Poland because of an argument over a game card. And the manager tried to break up that argument and was successful. But moments later, the argument ensued again. And although Trishonda Poland was rightfully and legally carrying her 38 caliber gun, she discharged her weapon and shot Eloise chairs. And it wasn't for purposes of defense, of self-defense. 
after they did a full investigation, they arrested Trishonda Poland and she was ordered to pay $150,000. She pled guilty to manslaughter, which was a lesser charge. And she was sentenced to 10 years because they said it wasn't premeditated. So that's why she was able to plead guilty to manslaughter. The DA knocked down the charge. The judge called this a senseless shooting. Trishonda did not give a personal statement when she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Eloise Chair's mother felt like Trishonda did not show any remorse for the shooting. Her daughter was left dead over a game card. Her grandchildren no longer had a mother. And it was just the most senseless crime that she could ever imagine. And the judge kept reiterating that through his sentencing. I felt like this was one of the crimes and one of the many crimes that I have heard of that there's just no rhyme or reason. People allow their anger to take over them and they don't think about those consequences that come after that. They get so angry in the moment and here they are carrying a weapon to a place like Chuck E. Cheese. It has no place. And you're so angry and you're so enraged, but you're not thinking about the consequences thereafter. And this just reminds me of my takeaway. So you guys tell me what you think about this particular crime. Jess, when she sent me this article, she just told me about how much this did affect their community and how she just could not even imagine somebody getting so angry about a game card that they would take a gun out and shoot somebody. Now, Trishonda's behind jail, Mammy behind jail, behind bars, and she probably has children. And even if she doesn't, she has a family. They're forever affected. Eloise, Eloise, yeah, Eloise Chair's family, her family is forever affected by her life being gone never to come back it's just the saddest story and for what so please continue to send in your articles i appreciate them i'm looking at them guys sending your case suggestions sending your articles sending the crimes that affect your community i think we're on to something y'all we are on to something so make sure you're sending those things in I am looking at them. So that is all for our segment for crimes that affect your community or our communities because we are all connected. I want to remind you that we are doing something really beautiful with our paid subscriptions. And for the month of February, I have been doing I've been very consistent with our paid subscription, meaning every Friday I drop an episode, which is an extra episode for you guys to in, indulge in and to 
you know, eat up, so to speak, and to enjoy more content. But in the month of February, selling, celebrating Black History Month, we will be dropping two additional episodes. So if you're not a part of the fam, join the fam, y'all. And an extra treat if you've made it thus far, because I feel like this episode is a hefty, hefty episode. Like it's longer. It should be longer than an hour. If you've made it thus far, then you'll know that we have at the last last week, I got an email from Apple Podcast Connect and it's what you have to join in order to post your podcast on Apple. And they sent me an email and they said, hey, you qualify to do paid subscriptions. And I was like, oh, that's amazing, you know, but you have to go through this process in order to do it. So I did the process. So by the time you hear this, I should have been under review and they should have approved it. So you can now be a part of the paid subscription on Apple podcast. And I know there's a big chunk of you who probably are like so committed to Apple podcast. When I said we don't do, you know, if you want to be a part of, you know, join the crew, which is what I say all the time on Spotify. I'm like, join the crew. If you want to be a part of paid subscription, join the crew, join the crew. Well, if you're like, girl, I ain't joining, I ain't joining the crew because I ain't getting on Spotify. Well, you can join the crew. So you ain't got no, you ain't got no more excuses. So you can join the crew on Apple. Okay. So join the crew, y'all. I promise February is one of those months where, where we intentionally try to show up and show out because it's our month. I mean, it's always our months. It's always our months, months here on Murder in the Black. But February is that month where we try to show up and show out. So we're going to be dropping extra, extra bonus content on our paid subscription. So if you've made it thus far, you know I love you. You know I love you, right? <laughs> All right, y'all. That is it. Until next time, I feel like I have talked and talked and talked. This particular episode was a labor of love for me, y'all, because I had a lot to do and it took me a lot to get through the editing. But until next time, this is Murder in the Black Share. If you care this episode with friends and family, until next time, friends. Love you. Bye.